So for the next few weeks, we're going to be taking a look at the Ten Commandments. And we're not looking at them as a list of things that we're not supposed to do. A list of uh, uh, big rules that if we blow one of them, we've blown all of them and we are forever condemned. That's not the way that they were presented and it's not the way that God expects us to live through them. God gave those rules to us to say, hey, for the first people that came out of Egypt, hey, you've never lived with me or for me before. And because of the way that I redeemed you, because of the way that I've saved you, because of the way that I brought you out of slavery, I want to give you some rules to live by that will bless you, that will give you not just life, but health, not just safety, but even prosperity, not just common sense, but wisdom. You see, um, just a, a little bit by background uh, from where we were even last week, uh, for multiple, multiple centuries, uh, just a little less than 400 years, the people of God, the Hebrew people, uh, were slaves in ancient Egypt. Ancient Egypt at the time was the most powerful nation uh, on the globe. And as a result, there was really nothing that the people of God could do for themselves But God did this for them. The this being rescued them out of slavery. Metaphorically speaking, that's exactly what he's done for you and for me. Not necessarily a physical slavery in a faraway land, but a spiritual slavery in a deep and abiding lifestyle of sin. My sin, your sin, all sin by everyone, everywhere. And having uh, rescued us through the blood of Jesus, God says, I know you don't want to go from one form of slavery into another form of slavery. So uh, I'm going to help you. I'm going to give you some rules to live by. And last week, the first rule was, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of slavery. You're, you're not going to have any other gods except for me. And we talked about the significance, the common sense application of this was uh, that, that we need to put God first in our lives, in every aspect of our lives, not just first when we walk in these doors, not just first when we open up a Bible, but first when we're talking to our neighbors, first when we're working for our boss or taking care of employees, first when we're caring for our kids or caring for our spouse, first when we do everything Now, I recognize when I put that kind of priority uh, out there, it can be a little intimidating. But let me just kind of throw this across your desk for a little bit. How How many of you have ever had parents? Right, you get it. Can you imagine saying to your mom and dad, um, I'm in charge. Okay, and from now on, what I say goes. You're laughing because you probably tried that at least once. Okay, Um, I didn't necessarily say it that way, but I might as well have. And it didn't end well. Let me just put it that way. 
Now, that is really where we transition into uh, the second commandment. The first commandment was, you'll have no other gods uh, before me. Uh, and the second commandment uh, is uh, from Exodus chapter uh, 20, starting uh, verses 4 and 5. You shall not make for yourself an, uh, an image in the form of anything in heaven, above or on the earth, uh, beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or to worship them. Now, right now, you're probably thinking something along the lines of idols. Idols. He's talking about idols. We're in the 21st century, and he's talking about idols. Yep, I am. Because it's not necessarily about this image or that. It's about whatever we do that backs up the way that we think. Now listen to me. Last week, the title of the message was The Significance of Who We Worship, meaning who is number one in our lives. This week, it's the significance of how we worship. And when it's all said and done, what it comes down to is this. If we really say that God is first in our lives, then there ought to be some physical evidence to prove it. There ought to be a lifestyle that backs up the way that we say, the things that we say, and the ways that we think. Yes? That's the point. And what God was telling the people that had just come out of that slavery is, hey, listen, I happen to know that for the last four, uh, almost 400 years, You've been watching people worship things that were hung on the wall or statues that were carved out into various images. And there was a God of the sun and a God of the river and the God of livestock and the God of the air and, and this and that and whatever else. And what I'm telling you is the reason why people would carve those things out is because that's the way that you, they thought. But I don't want you to think that way. I want you to think about what I have done for you. And I want you to worship me from here and here. And not necessarily rely on whatever image you can carve out here or there. That's the point. And so it doesn't matter whether you're in the 21st century or the 1st century. The issue that God wants us to understand is if, you say, if we say we're going to put God first, and it's a challenge, it's a challenge that you and I will have to accept every day. And sometimes we're going to do really, really well, and sometimes, well, right? But it's a challenge that we have to uh, uh, state and then acknowledge every single day of our lives. Because if we think some way, then we're going to talk in a way that is relative to the way that we think. And if we speak that way, then there ought to be some evidence in our actions for what we really believe. And if not, then the question is, do we really believe that? That's a fair question. See? I want to share with you just some simple principles about those verses, verses 4 and 5 in Exodus chapter 20, the second commandment, basically not to have idols, not to make anything like that. 
And the first principle I want to share with you is this. The maker is the ruler. The maker is the ruler. One of the reasons uh, my parents laughed at me when I told them that I was now in charge, and I laughed at my kids, especially my youngest, when she told me that she wanted to be in charge, was because she didn't make me. I made her. It's just that simple, okay? And, I, and she would say, no, 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 Dad, we're not doing it like this. <laughs> no, honey, no, honey. Dad, child, creator, created. <laughs> it's really not too sophisticated. And because you and I are chuckling at that, because we all go through that, we please understand that this is a, the exact conversation that God has with you and me at times. No, no. Creator created. I made you. You didn't make me. And oh, by the way, there's a significance in that second, that second declaration. You did not make me. One of the reasons that idol worship is very, very comfortable for all uh, social cultures, r- regardless of time, regardless of place, and everything like that. Why do we make images out of uh, stone, images out of wood? Uh, why, why do we make those kind of things? Because you know what? Then we set the terms for the relationship. Okay? Think about it. Going back to the parent-child scenario, I, I decided what room my kids would live in. I decided what bed they would sleep on. Leslie decided what clothes they would wear and what food they would eat. I decided when they would play and when they would work. I decided all those things. Creator, created. It was really not that difficult. And God says, listen, you can decide for yourselves what you want to do in your life, but I can pretty much guarantee you that inevitably, if you make up the rules, not only will you be disappointed, you might get hurt emotionally, physically, spiritually, financially, and every other Lee you can think of. It's going to happen that way. Isaiah talks about this. He has a really commonsensical perspective. Isaiah is an Old Testament prophet, and to be honest with you, he was one of the most brilliant writers in all of Scripture, exceptionally well-educated, but he doesn't have to get deep into the stuff. He doesn't have to uh, speak PhDs in order for you and I to get the point. Listen to what he says in Isaiah chapter 44, starting with the ninth verse. I'm going through. It says, All who make idols are nothing, and the things they treasure... worthless. The carpenter measures with a line and makes an outline with a marker. He roughs it out with chisels and marks it out with compasses. He shapes it into human form, human form in all its glory. You can hear the sarcasm, all right? That it may dwell in a shrine. He cut down cedars, uh, or perhaps he took a cypress or oak, Uh, He let it grow among the trees of the forest or planted a pine and the rain made it grow. It is useful as fuel for burning. Some of it he takes and warms himself. 
He kindles a fire and bakes bread, but he also fashions a God and worships it. He makes an idol and he bows down to it. You get what he's saying? He's basically in Shan's paraphrase version saying, you know what, this is crazy. There's a big old tree in the backyard, and you cut down it. Half of it, you cut, you separate into about 15-inch long sections, and then you split those sections, and you burn that stuff to make your house warm or bake bread. The other half, you carve into an image, and you bow down. Listen, he continues on. Um, uh, but he also fashions a god and worships it. He makes an idol and bows down to it. Half of the word wood he burns in the fire. Over it he prepares his meal. He roasts his meat and eats his fill. And the rest he makes a god, his idol. He bows down to it and he worships. And he prays to it and says, save me. You're my god. They know nothing. They understand nothing. Their eyes are plastered over so they cannot see. And their minds closed so they cannot understand. Such a person feeds on ashes. A deluded heart misleads him. He cannot save himself or say, Is not this the thing in my right hand a lie? Remember these things. For you, Israel, are my servant, creator, created. I have made you. You are my servant, Israel. I will not forget you. I, <coughs> I have swept away your offenses like a cloud, your sins like the morning mist. Remember what we said last week about one of the reasons why we put God first? We said that because we said that it's a powerful decision. We're acknowledging the fact that only God can do the things that God can do. Only he can forgive with an impact on eternity. Only he can set those things aside so that salvation becomes not just a buzzword in religious circles, but a lifestyle of gratitude. That's the significance there. Now why, then, do we carve these images? Because we like to be in charge? You know, honestly... Being in charge in and of itself is an illusion. The older we grow, the more we realize we don't really have control over anything. We don't. Uh, anybody over 50, let's see the strength in your knees. You say, oh, come on. Okay, I got news for you. It's coming. All right? Um, uh, can, you, can, you, can you work as long as you used to work? Can you, can you run? I mean, really run. All right, I, I like to think that I can in my dreams. All right, but I can't. That's why when Ellie takes off down the hall, I just let her go. <laughs> I'm not chasing her. All right. It, it, it is what it is, guys. You see, we're really not in control as much as we think we are. But the reason that we covet that, I use that word intentionally, we'll get there in a few weeks. The reason that we covet that, we long for it, is because we're not comfortable not knowing how this is all going to turn out. We're afraid at times. Which is why the songs, John, the songs that you chose today, you are good. You will never leave us. You will never forget us. 
over and over and over. We sing that. Did you? I, I know that sometimes we, you wonder why we sing the same chorus seven times in a row. You know why? Because it takes seven times sometimes for it to register, for it to get back into, because we forget, we leak. You and I are going to start leaking by 2 o'clock this afternoon. We will, because we worry and we wonder. And sometimes because of that worry and because of that wonder, we'll give power to things that don't have power. You hear me? We'll say that we're in charge. And we'll declare that we're the ruler and the maker. And we will lie to ourselves. It's some kind of silly human intellectual game that we play with ourselves when we know we're not as strong as we think we are. We're not as smart as we think we are. We're not as good as we think we are. You and I are not the maker. We are that which is made. Which is why we don't worship things that we make. We worship one who, the one who made us. And there's significance in that. Principle number one is the maker is the ruler. And the, the, one, the second principle is very commonsensical. I already opened the door for it. Number two, how we live is a direct reflection of what we believe. How we live is a direct reflection of what we believe. Now listen, I have grown up, I have been so blessed. God has unfairly been good to me. I have grown up in a home that honored God and loved God all my life. And I want you to know that there hasn't been a day that hasn't gone by where I struggle with it. Being the firstborn, strong-willed, stubborn guy, I like to be in charge. And there isn't a day that doesn't go by where he goes, nope. Nope. I get out. I go to cut grass. I've fixed my mower. I know that the mower now works. And I take two runs Bloop, 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 bloop. And I say to myself, now wait a minute. I fixed you. You're supposed to work right. I know what I did. I know what I fixed. And yet, what I've done failed miserably. Not so with God. Not so with God. When I put him first in my life and I consistently remind myself, because I have to, oh yeah, that's right, God, you're in charge. Oh yeah, that's right, God, you have set this in order. I remember the last time I tried this and it didn't work out well. I'm going to remember the lesson that you taught me yesterday, last week, last year, last decade, when I was eight, and so on. 
Because if I say that God is first in my life, I better live like God is first in my life. And one of the, pre, uh, one of the primary reasons I need to do that is because up until just a couple of years ago, I had three children who wanted to know whether I really lived the way that I said I lived. And they watched all the time. And trust me, there were times when they would say, uh, Dad, what you did here and what you said there, they, they don't come together. Because kids know. They know. And if they don't, spouses do. Um, honey, And those conversations are always so much fun, aren't they? But when Leslie would call me to account, what she's not doing is saying, aha, I got you. What she is doing is reminding me ultimately who I promised my vows in the hearing of. You see? That's the significance there. I am not the maker. I am the one who is made. And if I acknowledge that, then I'm putting him first in my life. And if I'm putting him first in my life, then how I live my life ought to be a direct reflection of the things that I think and the things that I believe. That's why I love this section of Scripture from Romans chapter 12. It's very familiar to many of you, I know, but I want to focus on a couple of different things. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, the God who took us out of whatever Egypt we were in, remember from last week? The Egypt being whatever mess we find ourselves in, whatever circumstance that's overwhelming us, whatever circumstance that reminds us that we're not as smart as we thought we were, not as strong as we thought we were, and we really do need God because only God can get us out of the mess that we put ourselves into. In view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, a living one. It's durative. It's constant. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. It is your true and proper worship. That's how we worship. Because how we worship is not about what happens between 10.30 and 11.30 only on Sunday mornings. How we worship is how we live every waking moment. We offer ourselves as living sacrifices. God, you've done so much for me. You've protected me. You've provided for me. You've taken care of me. You're taking care of my kids. You're taking care of people that I know. You're watching out for everything. I pray to you about my concerns. I pray to you out of thanksgiving. All of this I know, and because I know this, I will live this way as a living sacrifice. You get me, God. As broken, as foolish, as stubborn, as frustrating as I can be sometime, you get me because I am devoted to you. I belong to you. That's how it works. 
This is your true and proper worship. So how do we do this? Do not conform to the pattern of this world, the world that says, you know what, I made this last week, and it isn't turning out the way that I thought it was going to turn out. So I'm going to take what, the thing that I made and used to worship, I'm going to throw that onto the fire, and I'm going to make something else. And I'm going to worship that. And when then that doesn't work out, I'll throw that on the fire and I'll try again. No. It doesn't work like that. Don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Sing the phrase seven times over if you have to to remind yourself that he really does keep his promises, that he really does say, do what he says he's going to do. That's the point. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. It happens at least once a week. I'll walk into a store, and I went into that particular store because I had a particular thing that I needed to get. But while I'm on my way to that particular aisle in which that uh, particular item is located, I will see something else. And I will say, oh, that looks good. And I'll pick it up and I'll look at it and I'll say, you know, that would look really good on my shelf, on my truck, in my drawer, on me, whatever. And then I ask this question. Do I really need it? Not do I want it, because that question's already been answered. I ask the question, do I really need it? It's taken me a while to kind of develop that pattern, but I have to do that because that I've learned that lesson because if I'm not in charge, and that means I'm subject to something or someone else, that something or someone being God himself. And so I have to hold account to him because it's not just my money, it's his. It's not just my home, it's his. It's not just my life, it's his, you see? You may think that's extreme, but I'm now able to pay all my bills and have extra left over. That's not a bad thing, is it? You see? And so when I do that, I ask do I really need this? Eight, nine times out of ten, the answer is no. Back on the shelf, you demonic thing, you. <laughs> All right? Back on the shelf, you go. And oh, by the way, I wasn't necessarily talking about the thing, but that spirit that sometimes gets inside of me and says, you do what you want to do. It really is your money. I mean, after all, you're a grown man. You've fathered kids. You can do whatever you want. Um, no, I can't. I can't. So along the same lines as that, about asking the question, do I need to get this? Do I need to own this? Uh, believers, let me help you in some context. Let me ask you this, uh, or recommend this to you. Ask yourself these questions. 
with what I'm about to say or what I'm about to do, what I'm about to post on Facebook, um, uh, what, I, what I really would like to post on Facebook, okay? Um, uh, what I'm about to say to my wife or in others, my, my husband, uh, what I'm about to say to my spouse, what I'm about to say to my kids, the, the dollars, God, will you be pleased with this? Will you be happy with what I'm about to say? Will you be happy with what I'm about to do? Now, I recognize that in some ways, if you're just starting to find and follow Jesus, I recognize that that may seem extreme. But you ask. You ask the people that have been walking with Jesus for 10 and 20 and 30 and 40 years, and you ask them about the wisdom of that question. And how they would have really wanted to have asked that question on a certain day 20 years ago. Or on a certain day 40 years ago. And they would have saved themselves so much heartache. Because if God is first in our life, then there ought to be some evidence in how we live to prove it. Because we live in a world that desperately wants to hear and see the things that are good because we're sick and tired and just fed up with hearing and seeing the things that aren't good. And we're especially sick and tired of it when it comes into our own lives and into our own hearts. And we get tired of making sometimes the same mistake over and over again, and we're just done. And God, we're not as smart as we thought we were. We're not as strong as we thought we were. And so you know what, God? You get it. You get me. You get my life. You get my job. You get everything. Warts and all, deficit and all, frustrations and all, because I'm going to trust you. Because you said you would never leave us and you would never forsake us. You said you would watch over me. And I'm taking a look at some other people's lives who haven't been perfect, but they're leaning on you and they're trusting in you. And I can see the difference because finally they've made God number one in their life and there is evidence to prove it. That's the point. Commandment number one is you'll have no other gods before me. God, I'm going to put you number one in my life. Commandment number two is don't make any idols and don't worship them. Don't worship those things that you make because if God is number one in our lives, then I'm not going to take that control back. I'm not going to get afraid or worry and, and try and uh, fix things that I think are broken that God, I believe falsely that he can't fix and he, he can't redeem and he can't heal. No, I'm going to trust God because when it's all said and done, he's going to always do the right thing by me. In just a few minutes, the guys are going to come and they're gonna, uh, we're going to have our communion service. And normally we do communion before uh, I come up and speak, but we're doing it after because I, I want us all to pray. 
as we participate, as we remember the mercy of God in the person of Jesus who gave himself for us long before we knew him. While we were still sinners, Paul said, Christ died for us. And so in view of God's mercy, I'm gonna encourage you to just say, God, help me. God, I wanna live for you. I want to do the best that I can for you. And there are times when I'm afraid and there are times when I worry. And be, when, I, when I'm afraid and I worry, sometimes I make bad decisions. And, and, I, and I want that to, to be a powerful uh, principle in my life. So as these emblems come, as the, as the bread comes that represents the body of Christ, and as the, the cup comes, the, uh, comes that, that represents the blood of Jesus, who was sacrificed for my sin and for your sin, for mercy's sake, remember what God did for you. And in remembering what God did for you, dedicate again, consecrate again your life to him and for him. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for giving us these simple things, these simple rules to live by. They're not that hard. They're not that difficult, even though at times we make them that way. In simplicity, you sent your son for us. In simplicity, he died for us. In simplicity, we now live for him. In Jesus' name, amen.